Without raising your hands, how many of you know what is in the first blank on your outline? If you're a fan of the movies A Star is Born, and you've seen the most recent one um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, then um, you know the answer there. Um, Of course, Judy Judy Garland, whom Joyce and I love, uh, was in, I believe it was the first one or the first remake, and then the second one was... um, Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. But in the most recent one from 2018, um, one of the uh, very significant songs from that show was this one, We're Far From the Shallows Now. As we began this series of lessons from the book of Job, that song has uh, come to mind uh, several times for me, in that statement, we're far from the shallows now. Last week, we began this study looking at Job chapters 1 and 2, where God and Satan, the adversary, actually go toe-to-toe over Job. And if you didn't get a chance to be here and to hear that, or you haven't watched it online, then I urge you to do that. Uh, because in, that, in those two chapters, Satan, the adversary, the devil, actually gives the theme statement of the book of Job. And it's in question form, and that is, does Job serve God for nothing? The question of the book is, will a person serve God if there's nothing in it for them? At the beginning, God compliments Job to Satan, and he says, you know, there's nobody like him in all the earth. And Satan says, well, of course, you've given him everything in the world he could possibly want. You take those things from him, And he'll curse you to your face. And so God says, okay. But he puts a limit and he says, you can't touch him physically. You do everything else. And so he does. Takes away his wealth. uh, Takes away his children. Takes away his reputation. And it's one of those bang, 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 bang things that happen. His wife tells him, curse God and die. And, and, and. The second time around, he hangs in there. And the second time around, God puts another limit on Satan. And he says, okay, you can touch him. Because Satan has said, hey, if you hurt him, he will curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you can hurt him, but you can't kill him. Something that Job is going to cry out for God to actually do in the midst of his suffering. And God himself had put the limit there and said, nope, that's not going to happen. And so then we see all of these other things going on, and we understand, you know, we've all, all heard all along of the suffering of Job. It's talked about in Scripture and other places. His patience, and I think he was patient. At the end, he is commended by the Lord, but at the end, he also repents in dust and ashes, realizing somewhere in there he went too far. But as he's reflecting on all of that, uh, his friends come to see him. In his suffering, Job is joined by three friends. And that's in chapter 2. And they come and they're so struck by his suffering that they just sit in silence. Which actually, as we'll find out next week, was the best thing they did. If only they had stopped there. When they open their mouths, they say all the wrong things. And that'll be next week's lesson. 
But imagine going to a friend to comfort them, knowing that they're hurting, knowing that they're suffering, that they've had great loss. And you see them and they say things like this. May my birth date perish. Strike it off the calendar. That day may it be turned to darkness. Why did I not die at birth? Why was I not stillborn? Why did my mother not miscarry me? Why is life given to a person whose way is hidden? Whom God has hedged in. Satan had accused God of hedging Job in in protection. Now when Job loses everything except his very life. He says obviously God has hedged me in for punishment and for hurt. What would you do if you went to a friend and those were some of the things that you heard? What would you tend to do? Maybe uh, offer to take them to a counselor or a therapist. Maybe say, you need to talk to a doctor. Perhaps you need to be on medication. Something. And it may be that sometimes those things are very important. I believe in all of those things, actually, very strongly. Would you try to defend God? No, no, no. You can't say that about God. Because that's what his friends do. The best thing Job's friends bring is their silent presence. And after they sit in silence for a while, then Job speaks. And Job lashes out, venting his anguish and pain in Job chapter 3. And the very best way for me to communicate how deeply he hurt and how without restraint is his venting, world-class venting, is to read Job chapter 3. And it may very well be that perhaps as we read this, you think, I get it. I get it. I have felt exactly the same way at times. Perhaps some may be experiencing such great hurt and suffering and anxiety and fear that you feel that way today. And if that's the case, then Job verbalizes how you feel. And gives you permission to verbalize that yourself. Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. And the night that said, a boy is conceived. That day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan, may its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Verse 11, why did I not perish at birth 
and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Verse 16, Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil, and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave driver shout. The small and the great are there. Talking about the grave. And the slaves are freed from their owners. Verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come. Who search for it more than hidden treasure. Who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared, verse 25, has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. And then you say, what, to your friend? We'll say it uh, a little bit later in the message, but as I read these words, as I hear that pain and suffering, we can see it from two perspectives. One is the perspective of Job the sufferer, and the other is the perspective of his friends, the helpers. Because likely we have been in both situations. Job lashes out, venting his anguish and pain, even saying, what I feared has come upon me. And so we think back to those first couple of chapters before everything he had was taken away. And what he's saying is, I was always afraid that something like this would happen. I was afraid that all of these blessings would one day be gone. Is it okay? For Job to say these things. Is it okay for us to say these things? When that's how we really truly feel. Is it okay for us to hear these things? And not jump in to defend God. Not jump in to say, no, 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 you can't say that. Not jump in and say, no, no, you're you're not hurting as deeply as you think. Job 3 is not the only place where something like this happens. We read about it in many of the Psalms, as you know. And some of them are written on your outline. Psalm 13 begins with this cry from the psalmist, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever talked with someone who felt like that? Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you heard that statement before? That painful, hurting, deserted question that Jesus cries out from the cross 
It's the first statement from Psalm 22 because the psalmist was feeling that way, and that's how Jesus felt, deserted and forsaken by the Father who could save him but didn't. Psalm 42 is another psalm, and in that psalm, the the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Put your hope in God. And it's like the psalmist, in the midst of all his pain and suffering, is trying to talk himself out of it. (laughs) And in that psalm is this great statement, deep calls out to deep. We're far from the shallows now. When you're reading the book of Job, if you read it honestly... You're far from the shallows. When you are experiencing the kind of pain and loss and hurt and loneliness and confusion that Job is feeling here, you are far from the shallows. And what happens in that moment is deep cries out for deep. You need someone somewhere that will not pretend we're in the kiddie pool, but will realize we're in the deep end and we're drowning. And not pretend that it's not that way. And when we're in the midst of that, we don't need to pretend either. We need to find someone, somewhere, including God, and perhaps a one or two or three trusted friends who will let us say these things that we feel and not think less of us. And not try to talk us out of that, but to talk us through it. Psalm 137 is one of those psalms in exile. Some of our Bible classes are looking at Ezra and Nehemiah this month. And and in the midst of that exile, before that King Cyrus rule that allowed everybody to go back if they wanted to, Psalm 137, the psalmist writes, we were in Babylon, we were in a foreign country in exile, and our captor said, hey, sing us one of those happy peppy songs of Zion. Sing, we're marching to Zion. We love that one. And the psalmist responds and says, how can we sing such joyful songs when we're in the midst of such pain? The whole book of Lamentations is a cry out to God. It's a lament that doesn't hold any punches back. If you want some hard reading, read the book of Lamentations. In the midst of that is that window of joy and hope. But for almost the whole book, it's a crying out to God about the pain and suffering that his people are experiencing. Job does the same. Job lashes out, venting his anguish and his pain. So is there value in doing that? Is there value in expressing sincere, honest questions and complaints? Let me tell you that undeniably, absolutely, I believe the answer is yes. Yes. There is great value in doing exactly that. If that's what you're experiencing, and if that's how you feel, yes, there is absolute value in lashing out like that, in venting like that, in reading Job chapter 3 as if you yourself are saying those things. 
Expressing them to a troubled friend, is there value in that? To a trusted friend, I mean, is there value in that? Yes, yes. Expressing them to God, is there value in that? Yes, absolutely. That's what Job does. And over the next few weeks after this coming Sunday, we're going to hear some of the things that Job has to say in those very difficult speeches that he gives that I believe are the real power of the book of Job, starting with this one in Job chapter 3. We think ahead to chapter 42, and whenever we study the book of Job, that's kind of what we want to do, right? Read chapters 1 and 2 and get the setting and the whole God versus Satan over Job thing. And then fast forward to chapter 42, where God comes to him and affirms him and restores not the people that he lost or the things that he lost, but gives him more children, restores his reputation. But here's the thing. Job has to go through chapter 3 and his speeches that follow to get to chapter 42. You can't go from here to there without it. You can push it back, you can deny it, you can pretend that it doesn't exist, but you must sometime face it if you are going to be healthy. And perhaps for Job to do that was God's purpose all along. And perhaps it's his purpose for you. Is there value in expressing that sincere, honest question and complaint? Yes. If that's how you really feel, God knows that already. Why not verbalize it to him? As I said earlier, Job's world-class venting speaks to us in two aspects, the sufferer and the helper. And I think both are tremendous in this. It's kind of like... uh, The prodigal son parable that Jesus says in Luke 15. Where you have a younger brother and an older brother. And the younger brother goes away into the far country. And repents and comes back. And Jesus tells that parable so that those who are the younger brothers in the audience. Will realize, well, God will accept me back. But that's not the only lost son. As Tucker has shared, the, the, the older brother was also lost. Even though he was right there. And Jesus speaks to him through this and says, you too need to repent and you need to be joyful and glad that your brother is home and safe. Well, in the same way, we see two perspectives here in this one, the helper and the sufferer. The sufferer is the one who's going through all of this. That's Job. And that may be you. Or it may be that that's not you today. But you know someone who is. Do they have permission from you to be honest about how they feel? Can they share their not just lack of understanding but absolute fury with God for what they're going through? Can they share that with you? Because that's what Job tries to do with his friends. We 
when we are suffering, we need to be able to read Job chapter 3 and read it from the heart. And when we know someone who is in that deep of a valley, deep calls out for deep. Will we be that person that can go there and can put our arms around them and can cry with them if needed and can hurt with them if needed and, and will not, even though every cell in our body wants to jump in and say, you shouldn't say that, or jump in and say, you know that God doesn't believe that. All of those things might be true, but that's likely not the time because you can't get to chapter 42 until you get to chapter 3. And if we have no opportunity to vent, if our friends have no opportunity to lash out with someone about the injustice that they're going through, then they may never get to chapter 42. So some lessons. Number one, acknowledge the reality of the situation. Don't deny it. Don't, don't deny it. <laughs> don't pretend that it's not there. That's what Job's friends do. They come along and they pretend like Job isn't hurting, like he hasn't experienced loss, like this doesn't match with their theology that the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. And here is Job, a righteous person, suffering, and he doesn't get it. And his friends come in and say, well, it's not all that bad. Or, well, you know, you are a really sinful man, Job, and that's why this all... So what do you say, Bill? Well, I think when you hear something like this and you're seeing that loss and you're seeing that emotion and you're seeing that hurt and you're hearing them verbalize that and they end with looking you in tear-filled eyes and saying, why does God let this happen? I think at that moment you can answer truthfully, sincerely, and honestly, and say what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me either. I don't know why God wouldn't save your marriage. I don't know why God would cause you to lose your job. I don't know why the doctor would come back with news that it's malignant. I don't, I don't know. And at that moment, that may be all you have to say. We don't want them to stay there. But if we don't join them there, they will never be able to move on. And they'll look for what deep somewhere else. Acknowledge the reality of the situation. Don't deny it. Number two, God is big enough to handle our questions. You don't have to defend God. <laughs> he can do a great job of that himself. He's just fine with that. The amazing thing in reading the Gospels and reading how Jesus interacted with the Jewish leaders and with others, he hardly ever defended himself. Even on the cross, when they were jeering at him, when he could have called the legions of angels, when he could have come down from the cross and everyone would have believed him, he didn't do it. Why? Because he didn't have to win the argument. He knew the truth, and he was there to join us in our suffering. And as Bill shared, to give his life for us and our sins. 
God affirms the honest struggler. Number three, for growth to occur, our church environment must allow, even encourage, the honest struggler to raise his or her questions. Is this a place where Job would be welcomed and helped? Or is this a place where Job would be judged? And condemned. Our church needs to be a place, an environment, a community where people who are struggling can come and not feel like they have to hide their struggles, but to find someone that will get out of the shallows and go deep with them. Finally, number four in the world we'll have trouble, in Jesus we can have peace. Just as Bill shared at the end of his communion thoughts today, that's why we have hope. That's why we have joy. That's why we have optimism. Because in Jesus, we can have peace. doesn't mean we deny all of the difficulties. It doesn't mean that at all. It means we face them head on because we have Jesus. And sometime, someday, some way, that person that we're talking to needs to move through that time of anger at at God. And sometimes, some way, we may be in that place where we need to move past that stage as well, but that doesn't happen right away. Are we okay with walking through that valley with Him? Are we okay with going into the deep with them? Do they know There's someone that is joining them in their suffering. Faith is the victory. Not knowing, although knowing is important. Not even seeing. We live by faith, not by sight. Faith is the victory. We have that peace and it comes only through Jesus. We can rejoice, but only through Jesus. As Paul says in Philippians 4, as those wonderful girls on the Oklahoma University softball team shared the national champions of, I think, a few years running, when asked how they kept the joy and love of the game in them, those brave, courageous, wonderful girls said to a national audience, well, it's, it's because I have Jesus in my life. Because softball games, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Championships kind of come and go. Circumstances are going to change. But in all of them, I can have that joy because my joy doesn't come from winning championships. My joy comes from the Lord. Where does your joy come from today? Circumstances are going to rise and fall, come and go, be good and bad. That's true for us. That's true for our family. It's true for our friends. Will we be there for each other? with the peace and the joy that comes from knowing Christ. This morning, if you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you can do that today. Acknowledging your faith by confessing your sins, turning away from that sinful path, that's repentance, and being buried with Christ through baptism into death so that you too can rise to live a new life. Are you far from the shallows now?
You can have that peace that only Jesus can give, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that is not dependent on circumstances. Tis so sweet. Not to have everything that Job had at first. That's nice, but it can go away. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. If we can help you do that today, come as we stand and sing this great hymn.